Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Buck Sexton with you now. Thank you so much for joining. It is an honor. It is a privilege and, of course, a pleasure to get a chance to hang out with you in what I lovingly call, what we lovingly call, the Freedom Hut. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 on the lines. A lot of things to talk about today, and I wanted, let me just give you a quick preview, and then I'll just, and then I'll jump into it. We will discuss the campus rape myth and some very interesting recent articles and new evidence and uh, statistics that have to do with that whole campus rape frenzy, the the false stories out there about what's going on on college campuses, which got all the way up to the, I mean, the White House was pushing that lie. The White House was pushing a lie, pushing false statistics and doing it as part of identity politics and part of our ongoing uh, culture war in this country, or really a war on the culture. We will talk about that. I also have a, a little backstory history segment planned for you coming up later in the show about one of the most important battles in our history that very few people uh, know much about and and very few people have heard about and it came up in the context of the statue battle so just put a pin in that you're going to have to listen through to the end of the show to get to which battle i'm referring to Um, but i promise you it'll be well worth the time and then uh, I also have in mind that we will get into the latest on Dreamers and DACA. Very interesting piece from Mickey Kouse on that that I wanted to share with all of you. And uh, of I, but of course, my friends, the Hillary, the Hillary World Tour, or I guess it's just a tour of the United States, but with the media, she's everywhere. Uh, so those are all th- all things we're going to be discussing today on the show. Very, l- very much looking forward to hitting those topics with you. But let let's start with. Uh, uh, something that we discussed yesterday, something that came up yesterday on the show, and it has now caught fire. Uh, it is now a much bigger topic. It's trending. It's it's you know there are memes. The, the, it's all over the place because the White House has now weighed in. Uh, and here's the basics of the story: you have a a reporter from ESPN, Jamel Hill. I do not watch much ESPN, and when I do, it's usually because there's some political crossover story where we are being forced. We think we're going to hear about football. We think we're going to have escape, right? Right. That's one of the reasons we love sports so much. Sports lets us escape. It sports. There are there are heroes. There are victories. There are battles well fought. It's something that can bring us all together. Even sports that I'm not all that into. I mean, it's tough for me to get that excited about shuffleboard, but I'm sure there's a lot of practice and skill involved. So I, I shouldn't, uh, or curling is that I'm thinking of curling. Shuffleboard's a board game. I meant curling. Thank you. Sorry. Which is an Olympic sport. Uh, it's tough for me to get excited about curling, but I'm sure there are people that do. 
But a lot of other sports out there, I can certainly respect the athleticism of it. You know all this. I don't need. I'm not telling you anything. Uh, not telling you anything you don't already know. With that, so when you have politics jammed down your throat, when you think you're going to be watching sports, it gets it gets annoying. Uh, and ESPN has been guilty of this for some time. You had that comical beyond belief situation of. Uh, Robert Lee being pulled off of a game because people thought at ESPN that he would be made fun of because an Asian American with the name Robert Lee is going to remind people of Robert E. Lee, the general. I should note, wherever you are across the country right now, if you were to look in, no one has phone books anymore, but if you were to type in in a white pages or is that the yellow pages, which is the one for people, white pages, I see, no one even has these anymore. So I can't, yeah, white pages directory. Um, you know, you look for Robert Lee, and I'm sure you'd find a whole lot of people. But the politicization of sports has been ongoing for some time as sports has become huge business, massive media reach. You know, you think you have a successful news platform or media platform, and then you look at what the ratings are for Monday Night Football. And you're like, whoa, OK, well, <laughs> you know, they're 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 successful and they're successful. Uh, and obviously the Colin Kaepernick situation and his taking and taking a knee during the national anthem all of this we've been seeing this for some time but here's why this is a little bit more than just that with uh, jamel hill when you refer to the president as a white supremacist and and i should say i don't believe that people should be fired for their political positions but i also believe that we need to hammer the double standard that exists here with everything we've got. Jamel Hill said in a tweet that the president is a white supremacist who surrounds himself with white supremacists. This is part of a larger narrative that's been going on for some time, and it's a very destructive one. It's deeply troubling that the Republican Party, and this is being pushed by major media outlets, this is being pushed at MSNBC, pushed at CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, you name it, that the Republican Party is, in fact, a party of white supremacy. Uh, white supremacy. So this is the storyline. Russia collusion didn't work. Didn't work. They thought that might end the administration. Didn't work. Maybe still they hope that the special counsel will cause major disruptions for the Trump White House. But they're going to have to wait on that one. And they're going to have a fight on their hands. So now the narrative, the storyline to destroy Trump, to destroy this White House has to do with white supremacy. Now, when you step back, many of us will think, hold on, hold on a second. White supremacy, uh, supremacy as a term that is thrown about so liberally, this is kind of new, isn't it? I had heard of white supremacists in the past. There was that movie, American History X. There were, you know, you'll hear neo-Nazis, white supremacists, but they usually have tattoos of uh, swastikas and, you know, skinheads. And there's all this, this sort of accoutrement, the, the telltale signs of white supremacy, uh, supremacy. And they're not advocating for like a lower marginal tax rate. They actually think they are superior to and are actively trying to push for either policies or just push for violence against other groups because of their skin color. This is a a deeply heinous ideology. It's as 
and I know I'm telling you things I don't know, but I'm going to I'm going to take this to a place that we need to go in just a second. So stay with me here. There's there's no need for us to have a, a particularly in-depth discussion about white supremacy because it is reviled, it is hated, it is morally, intellectually and ethically wrong. And so why are we talking about it so much? This is a fringe among a fringe among. I mean, these are people that don't have a core constituency. They don't have supporters. There are idiots and lunatics of all kinds running around with hateful beliefs and ideologies and white supremacists fit into that category. So what is it that has changed now? Oh, I see. What was structural racism, what was white privilege has now become a discussion about white supremacy such that you will have mainstream writers. You'll have people who have platforms, who have followings, who influence the conversation. Remember, I don't do the comment section beating up the trolls here. I want I'm focused on people whose voices, whose opinions for better or for worse matter in the national discussion from the left. Right. I, I want to and the right. But I want to focus on them. And you have individuals that, or you have one individual, for example, who tweeted out that anti, anti-looting efforts and anti-looting rhetoric uh, has to do with white supremacy. And if you were to Google now, and this is an interesting experiment, really. I, I did this earlier today. If you Google white supremacy, uh, right, white supremacy in the news, you would expect, based on what I knew growing up and where it, you know, where it has fallen in society for as long as I've been alive, that you might see some skinhead neo-Nazi idiot somewhere holding a rally with five people who are, you know, these are like, the they're about as important in our discourse and in our society as some guy who's holding up a sign saying a meteor's going to hit the earth tomorrow, you know, you better watch out. I don't stay up late at night worried about meteor man, I don't stay up late at night worried about white supremacist man or any kind of supremacist, really, for that matter, in the context of American political discourse. Islamic supremacists, jihadists, that's a, a discussion that I'm happy to have as well and do on this show. They, they do worry me uh, because they do have a sizable constituency and sizable public support and whole nation states devoted to that ideology, which is on ethno-religious lines, but still, I digress. Conversation perhaps for another day. But when you think about white supremacy, take, take my challenge up here if you want. Google it and you will see this has now entered our daily usage, not your usage and mine, but this has now entered the news cycle and there are all these pieces about white supremacy and how it's being bolstered by this or supported by that. And I'm not talking neo-Nazis and skinheads. And No, 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 no. What They've inserted this now as a term because Trump is in the White House and they are using racial division as the primary resistance effort now against the Trump administration by claiming that, that, we, that we have a, a neo-Nazi or a member of the Klan. Or somebody at least sympathetic to that in the White House right now. This is a guy who 
grew up here in in New York City, probably the most diverse place in the entire country, has a Jewish son-in-law and a Jewish daughter, and people are talking about the Klan, and they apparently don't know what the various targets of the Klan were, but I, I digress. So they have changed the language such that we are now having a discussion using a term, including Miss Jamel Hill's usage of the term publicly, whereby what was structural racism, that doesn't get people as fired up. That doesn't get people to turn out angry, protest, fire people, yell at people, punish people. Structural racism just didn't get it done. White privilege didn't get it done, especially because when someone talks about their when someone talks about white privilege, I was going to ask, so what is it with uh, Asian Americans and the fact that they have the highest household income per capita of any ethnic group in the country? Do they have a is there privilege with that or what's going on there? Someone want to explain that one to me? You never talk about Asian privilege, right? But see, I don't talk about groups and their privileges in that way because it's idiotic. But nonetheless, that has been a project of the left for some time. That is really at the heart and soul of the Democratic Party. Racial ethnic division for the purposes of power at the ballot box, identity politics, that is the core of the Democratic Party today. And they they haven't been able to win the argument yet. They said, oh, if you support Trump, you're racist. Okay, people don't care. They supported Trump anyway. They say if you support Trump, you're part of... You're supporting white privilege. You know, you're oh, that didn't that wasn't enough. They said misogyny. They said Islamophobia. They said xenophobia. All the phobias they could think of wasn't enough. Now they've ratcheted it up. Now, if you hold certain policies, if you support the Trump administration in certain ways, otherwise seemingly sane and quote unquote respectable publications and news sources will say that you're supporting white supremacy. You're now supposedly along and in league with the shaved head, swastika tattooed, hateful bigots that were and have always been reviled in this country, at least in my lifetime. So what is happening here? Ms. Uh, Jamel Hill, has she has a First Amendment right to say something so... Uh, reckless and stupid to be sure she has a first amendment right to say it but we're talking about a private employer with espn espn she hasn't even deleted the tweets this is just symptomatic of the larger problem i want to get into it the, the, the double standard here really matters we're going to have some fun with the hillary book i've got some amazing snippets from that book to read to you it is wow but i want to continue this because defining white supremacy in such a broad way is incredibly destructive. Welcome back, team. I was just having a fascinating exchange with my uh, my team here, and uh, with with Tyrone in particular, who is a producer and also runs the board. And it got me thinking. You know, there's there are so many ways where you can see that using the term white supremacy as a stand-in for structural racism or systemic racism. Keep in mind that there there has been on the left a current for a long time, a, a trend in thinking that you can you can be a racist without actually doing or thinking anything racist just because you benefit from a system that is oppressive. And therefore, you are making subliminal 
distinctions in your head that you're not even aware of that are racist, right? Now, that's an inter- uh, you know, that's a whole other dis- that's a whole separate discussion to be had as to whether that's a fair way to think about things or not. But if that now is all part of a system of white supremacy, where does it stop? If you're going to talk about structural racism in American inner cities, uh, which is kind of an outdated term in a whole bunch of ways, because a lot of the roughest places in cities are actually in the outskirts of cities. But uh, if you were going to think about the most violent, dangerous neighborhoods in a city and you were going to talk about how uh, there was structural racism or systemic racism, then you start talking about how the police are a part of that system. And then you start saying that it's white supremacy. The system is white supremacy. Now you have the police as de facto agents of white supremacy in these communities all across the country. Using these, this is, it is very reminiscent, this switch in language. And you see what I'm doing here is that once you start using the term white supremacy in so many different contexts and throwing it around and using it as a stand-in for structural racism, systemic racism, subliminal racism, all these different uh, theories that re- a lot of it comes from critical race theorists and before that from a, a political philosopher and writer named Herbert Marcuse. But uh, when you look at all of this, you can see that it's intended to raise the temperature of the conversation. It's not intended to be a problem solver. It's intended to be a problem maker, to make people have a more difficult time discussing issues surrounding uh, surrounding race and surrounding uh, oppression and the language of the left you can see this happening is always evolving while a lot of the ideas stay the same the language evolves as a means of controlling the conversation immigration is a fantastic example of this you have uh, undocumented immigrants which used to be undoc which used to be undocumented um well now it's undocumented persons in fact now they just use immigrants as a stand-in but it was illegal aliens and then it became illegal immigrants and then it became undocumented immigrants and now it's just undocumented and in fact sometimes in headlines ap just did this earlier in the week they'll refer to just immigrants when they're talking about illegal illegal aliens or illegal immigrants just immigrants oh immigrants need protection under daca wait what Immigrants are people that have gone through the immigration system. But by changing the language, they change the discussion. They own the discussion, in a sense. They can influence it without ever having to do much more than that. And so this, you saw this with Trump. And Antifa and fascism. Republicanism just became, or the Republican Party and Donald Trump just became a stand-in for fascism. And you had people writing about this right after the election, how fascism was coming to America. These people are either deeply historically ignorant or just enormous liars. Uh, It's it's really a combination, I think, of both. You're going to say that Donald Trump is a fascist? This is the guy who's having dinner with the Democrats tonight who struck a deal with Chuck Pelosi. I mean, Chuck Schumer. (laughs) Chuck Pelosi. Actually, I'm just going to go with Chuck Pelosi. It works. It's hyphenated. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Read a comment from an influential African-American sportscaster from ESPN yesterday who said, Donald Trump is a white supremacist who has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. His rise is a direct 
result of white supremacy, period. He's unqualified and fit to be president. Why do you think, give a reaction to that, and is the president aware of that comment? And I'm not sure if he's aware, but I think that's one of the more outrageous comments that anyone could make, uh, and certainly something that I think is a fireable offense by ESPN. Now, people are saying that that she's calling for the firing. She's stating an obvious fact. It is a fireable offense. Now, should ESPN fire someone for that comment or not? This is an this is a very interesting debate uh, that's going on in the country right now because, on the one hand, I don't like the politicization of everything all the time in our lives. I also don't like the policing of political beliefs that occurs even outside the workplace. Now, when you're a journalist and you're tweeting out something like that, uh, that's from your official account. I think you're speaking, in a sense, from your official capacity. You know, this wasn't a private comment that she made that was overheard at a restaurant or something. This was put out there for everyone to see. But I do have hesitation about firing people for their political commentary and even a heinous statement about and if you're disagree, if you're shaking your head saying, no, 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 Buck, just think about what if, what if somebody had said, what if someone at ESPN had tweeted out years ago, which would never happen because they would get fired. But I'm going to get to the double standard. The double standard is clear. It's a big deal. Um, what would have happened if someone had tweeted out that Barack Obama was, you know, uh, a socialist who hates America or something like that? Right. Now, that person would be. That person would be fired. <laughs> okay, so I'll get to it. But I also wouldn't want that person to be fired for that, especially if they're if they're not a journalist. But I understand that these are private companies, and they're allowed to make these decisions, and and these distinctions are up to uh, management at some at some level, right? I get it. But stating that calling the president publicly a white supremacist is a fireable offense is not surprising. That's, that's not a, uh, what, what is Sarah, what is Sarah Sanders supposed to say? Uh, why isn't she just able to state the obvious there, which is that this woman could be fired and she's not going to be fired because ESPN has been infiltrated with leftists We uh, for a long time. I don't think it's new. I just think that we know more about it now because of, maybe it's gotten worse, but we know Keith Olbermann was working there a while ago. Keith Olbermann's nuts. Big show for a while at MSNBC, you know, says all kinds of horrible things about people. One of the problems with the media business is that really uh, unethical and disgusting people tend to get ahead in it. I have to say it's, it's very distressing, um, but it's true. And I sometimes want to ask even those that I know on the right when they like somebody who's on the conservative side of the aisle, I'm like, does it bother you that that person is clearly a jerk and uh, unethical in his own or her own personal dealings, not a nice person, doesn't treat people with respect and has a long history, but but is such a good entertainer? Really? Hmm. Interesting. Uh but the only fireable offense and the double standard, that's really what's this is this is the biggest right now, the the story that's getting the most discussion in the country. And I, I think that the the white supremacy aspect of it should get more attention because this is a really insidious uh, ploy. This is something that is happening and people aren't even really that aware of it to substitute in that term, which uh, I, I think has very clear connotations for what it's saying. You know, tell somebody that they're tell somebody that they're complicit in in uh, in structural 
or, or systemic racism. And they'll be like, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I disagree with you. I don't think that's really fair. But, okay, you know, you could have a discussion. If someone sat down with you, if one of your friends sat down and some of you are like, Buck, actually, no, I could not have that discussion with someone who said that. But let's just assume for a second, you might sit down with somebody who says, you know, well, I need to explain, I need to explain your role in subliminal or structural racism to you. I, I need to explain your role even, and this one starts to get a little bit more aggressive but you know buck let's have a talk about white privilege uh, okay i'll have the discussion somebody sits down with you and says i always use the name bob for for all you bobs out there i don't know why i like your name so much i just always use the name bob for my stand-in as a guy um bob i think it's because it's fun to say let's have a conversation about your white supremacy that's a problem Right. When I put it in those terms, I think it is quite clear that there are real distinctions here, that there are real differences and that it matters. This is this is uh, similar to the difference between someone saying uh, that, you know, you, you know, maybe are not always as as sensitive to the needs of minority communities as you should be. And somebody's saying, you know, you're just a racist. Those are very different things. (laughs) Those are not the same. And the escalation in the war of words right now between right and left, between Democrats and between Republicans and Democrats, that is something we should pay attention to because I I assure you it matters. They're doing this with a purpose. Um, They're trying to scare people. They're trying to scare people away from supporting the administration and uh, away from believing in the Trump agenda, which, as I was noting right before the break, This guy is making he is reaching he has already reached out more to Democrats in more substantial ways as president based on what's just happened the past few weeks than anything I can remember during the entirety of Barack Obama's administration with regard to Republicans. So for if the facts, if reality matters, one might want to take that into account instead of talking about fascism and and white supremacy. Um, But on the on to the uh, so that's. For me, that's the most important part of what's going on here. One reporter at ESPN, which is having all kinds of problems and is going to continue to have problems because they're just deciding that they're going to carve out a constituency of left wing millennials. You know, one thing that these different news outlets and news sources uh, never really understand is that, yeah, younger people, they tend to they tend to be more liberal. Sure. And I think that they make the assumption and it's a, this this is a repeating cycle. If you were to look back at what, you know, ad execs are thinking and what media executives are thinking, well, well, you know, we've got uh, there's such an advantage among young people that they're Democrats. You know what happens? They get married. They have families. They pay taxes long enough. And conservatism starts to make a little more sense to some of those folks. That's what happens. Conservatives are forged via experience life experience in many cases some people are like me you know for new york i'm a weirdo because i was like 16 and knew that i was a conservative and have known that ever since but for a lot of people i know i have friends who are getting more conservative every year i just wrote a check today for the quarter to the irs which we call the internal revenue service which is one of the most annoying euphemisms in existence right now it should just be the tax it should just be the tax collector agency because they collect taxes. Internal Revenue Service. Oh, we need revenue. No, they need taxes. They want to take your money. Why do we allow this? In a way, I mean, 
Look, I can understand changing from the War Department to the Defense Department, another thing that happened in this country, but we should have the IRS be the tax collector agency, so we're all really clear on what's going on. Once again, the words, the language, the description, it matters. Because now when you talk about what the IRS is doing, they're raising revenue. It's for all of us. No, they're taking your stuff, and if you don't give it to them, they throw you in prison and ruin your life. They are tax collectors. They're not revenue agents, okay? This is nonsense. This is why it matters so much when we talk about immigration, what what terms we use, whether it's a legal alien or undocumented immigrant. And you're seeing now why in the current racial discussion, which is at the center of the resistance to the Trump administration, and it keeps cycling through. It'll be, you'll see more Antifa action, probably, you know, at that uh, Shapiro speech in Berkeley coming up, there might be Antifa stuff there, but it'll be standing up against Trump is standing up against fascism again. But you had major uh, newspapers or major magazines, at least, that were putting photos of Donald Trump in, or, or suggesting that Donald Trump is a, is a Klansman. His administration is a member of the Klan. So this is this is pretty mainstream thought among leftist media types. And that's I find that's the important story that's coming out of all this ESPN stuff as to the the double standard. Okay, so no one doubts that if you had said something nasty like this about Obama, you'd be fired at ESPN. Right. We all know that. And no one doubts, I think, that the way that the corporate culture is going in this country when you had, what was it, Brendan Ike, who worked for Mozilla, was that, wasn't that the guy's name? The Mozilla CEO who was fired, I think it was Brendan Ike, who had supported, he had given money to support uh, the movement to make marriage, traditional marriage and not same-sex marriage in California, right? You'll note that also, I should note, that went from gay marriage to marriage equality. Another instance where the language changed and... The culture was changing too, right? It wasn't about gay marriage anymore. It was about marriage equality. The terms changed. But Brendan Ike gave money at the same time that Barack Obama was saying he was a traditional marriage candidate. This was the CEO of Mozilla, a major Silicon Valley internet company. And they fired him years later for it. You will never see anything like that happening in the political reverse. Never. It'll never happen. What does that tell us? It tells us that we need to understand that political power is only one type of power in this country. There is also the day-to-day and the culture. And when you look at what's happening now in American culture, particularly in the uh, fields that have the most influence on public opinion, where people have the most money and the most concentrations of power in private sector hands... Law, finance, media, major corporations, Silicon Valley giants. If you look at them, whether it's GE, Facebook, NBC, you name it, they're all progressive. I mean, the culture has all gone. That's not to say that everyone who works there is, but the culture has all gone progressive. You even see now in the federal government, people are saying, you know, what's what's the Pentagon's core mission? Well, it's diversity. What? I thought, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought the Pentagon's core mission was to defend the United States and, and, and uphold and defend the Constitution. But, you know, people will say, well, you know, a, a central mission is diversity. A central mission of, you know, the, the FBI, law enforcement agency, is diversity. 
What? This is this is now the mantra. This is the progressive orthodoxy. And the way that they get us there, you're seeing it happen right now in real time. You can see this underneath the, underneath the headlines, right? This is the the propaganda effect that they're going for. You're seeing this with white supremacy as a term that's now inserted into everyday discourse. As a term that is being used for things that are miles and miles away from some angry, evil bigot who wants to harm people because of their skin color and is covered in swastikas as tattoos, right? Miles and miles away from that. And yet now the term is being used for people who, you know, I mean, I, I, I want to I'll try to pull some more examples. I thought about how looting anti looting efforts are upholding white supremacy. I couldn't believe that. Um, I think I was pretty sure it's just people that are trying to stop their homes from being ransacked. And you see what's happened in some of the uh, Caribbean nations you have that were hit really badly by the hurricane. You have marauding bands of thugs who have machetes or firearms or whatever, and they're terrifying uh, people and, and stealing from them and ransacking their homes. And, you know, it's but somehow you'll see writers say, well, you know, if you're trying to if you're deploying the National Guard there in the case of um, I forget which country it was, but one of them has uh, is a Dutch possession. They've deployed the military there. I'll remember after the break. Oh, St. Martin. Um, they've deployed like Dutch military there. And I mean, that's it's not about white supremacy. It's about protecting private property and human life for for everybody. Everyone's property, everyone's lives. Um, but this we, we are entering some very precarious places here in the uh, national discussion. And I also think that this is one of the reasons why. I'm having such an I'm so I'm so intrigued by our topics today that I'm running very very long here. Ty, thank you for the reminder. Um, the Trump administration, I'm judging them a lot on policy, but merely as by being Trump, he is exposing them by just being Trump. He is exposing the media and and forcing conversations that many of us have been waiting to have for I don't know a decade or two. And I can't lose sight of that. Whether tax reform happens or not, we've seen that the media is a big problem in this country. I know I'm on a radio show, Buck. You're part of the media. No, I mean like the multi-billion dollar, huge reach, big time media outlets out there that are pushing an agenda all the time. Boom. Lines are lit in the Freedom Hut. Buck Sexton here with you. I like it. I'm like, hey, what do you guys... Uh, Team Buck, do you have some opinions you'd, li- you'd like to share here in the Freedom Hut? Do you have any gray poupon? Do you remember? I miss those. Do you remember those? Were you two? I forget. You're my age. I keep forgetting. Yeah. Um, so I usually make jokes about how... But we, Ty and I can make jokes about how we're old, we're old together. We're both very... Uh, Amy is, is, a, is, a bit, is a bit younger, so... That's it's it's okay. I mean, so when I make like comments about Beverly Hills 90210 or Saved by the Bell, I'm not. Did you even? She was too young for Saved by the. I don't know. Too young for Saved by the. Wow. Now I do feel old. Doesn't even know who Zach Morris is. All right, uh, Sam in North Carolina on WPTI. What's going on, Sam? Hey, Buck. How's it going? Listen to you every night from good old Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, I appreciate that. I love my North Carolina people. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Hey. uh I think at a minimum she should have to, you know, remove her tweets and apologize at a minimum. You know, you could you could go as far as say she should be fired. I mean, you, you could you could get there. But here, I mean, the only way that we're going to fix this, you mentioned early in your show that we've got a fringe, right? We've got a fringe of a fringe, 
of this mentality on the left and the right. Um, you add Hollywood to it, there might be, you know, they, they kind of integrate themselves into the fringe. But the only way we're going to stop this, the ESPNs, the MSNBCs, is we're going to have to do it with our pocketbooks. And the thing about it is, is it's not going to happen now because here's why. You go home, I go home every night, we have a roof over our head, we've got food in our refrigerator, we've got all the, the perks of life. For the most part, you know, let's say the middle class or, or whatever. And until that idea starts to get threatened to the extent that that goes away, I, I'm not sure we're going to make a change. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate your point about, uh, in, in particular, about how people need to, you know, vote with their dollars on a lot of this stuff and, you know, pay attention to who you're supporting. We always. You know, in conservative media, I got to say, Sam, we're particularly sensitive to it because we know that people that agree with us and agree with our content on the right are out there. We know that it's more than half the country, but there are structural forces, literally structural, uh, you know, network forces and and others that prevent this from being a, a free and and fair playing field. That that prevent it from actually being a marketplace of ideas where the best content wins. Um, so. You know, people need Absolutely. to support the shows that they that they believe in. They need to support the hosts, the writers, the you name it. Um, and that's a big part of this. And you know, ESPN, I think, is going to be in for a wake up call here pretty soon. But uh, Sam, Shields High, man, great to have you calling in from North Carolina. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Buck is back with you now, team. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 if you want to weigh in. I want to get to Hillary's book tour, which is just incredible. Uh, I want to get to that in a few minutes. But there's some there's some serious takeaways and some less serious takeaways. And ultimately, we, we will find out. What happened? We'll find out. All right, Casey in Washington, listening on the iHeart app. What's up, Casey? Hey, how you doing, Buck? Thanks uh, for having me on your show. Thank you, sir. I love your show. Thank uh, you. First, uh... I want to acknowledge there was a tragedy over here near me today. I live in Spokane, Washington. There was a school shooting, and I just wanted to say my thoughts are with the kids and the faculty and everybody involved over there in France. Yeah, thoughts and prayers, absolutely. I saw that on the on the, uh, on the wire. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say that I think she should be fired, and it's not because of what she said. I believe in the freedom of speech. I think it's because people like her are the true racist and not even necessarily racist against someone's skin color, but they're racist against what we say because we disagree with them. Well, when you mean, I mean, racist, racism is pretty specific about it being about race. Are you saying that she's politically bigoted? Yeah, I guess that'd be a better way to put it. Fair enough. Um, But... You know, I I think that there are lines, right? I mean, we can do any number of uh, any number of thought experiments where we look and see, well, what would have happened if if somebody had with let's say with a future president, even if someone used who is in public life and is a journalist, use a a a, uh, an ethnic slur to describe a future president of the United States. Does anybody think that person would keep their job? Of course not. Right. So there are limits to this to this free speech. If someone used a a misogynistic term to describe a future female president of the United States, I don't think you'd keep your job, right? So clearly there are limits. Does calling President Trump 
a white supremacist cross one of those obvious red lines, one of those obvious limitations of what you can get away with in public life? I think the answer is yes. I know that if it was a Democrat and this was a different, you know, if it was a different administration, the person would be fired because you see what ESPN has done in the past to anybody who's caught up in a political maelstrom. Uh, if, you know, they get tossed, right? ESPN is very politically sensitive. So, no, look, I, I mean, I, I think you probably get fired for this. Uh, it, it, you know, in a fair world, if we're going to fire people for what they say, what she said, and I agree with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, what she or tweeted, not said, uh, was yeah. a fireable offense. I, I don't think there's that much question about that. But then I, it's just, do I want to live in a country where people are getting fired for what they say about politicians? In general, in principle, no. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I know I'm tr- kind of drawing a... I'm kind of doing it on the one hand, on the other, but that's how I feel about it. I, I agree with that. Um, I guess my problem is is that uh, we let them get away with it too much. Yeah, fair. Well, by the way, how far is Everett, Washington, from you? Because I'm be talking about that later in the show. Um, that's probably about three, four hours. <laughs> See, he just goes. I, I, you could have said, "Oh, it's the next town over." I don't know Washington State geography as well as I need to, but I love my folks up in Spokane listening, whether they're uh, on on the terrestrial radio or on the iHeart app. Thank you very much, Casey. Appreciate it. Uh, Brent in New Mexico. What's going on, Brent? Hey, Bob. Shield time, man. Shield time. Hey, my prayers for the former caller, the the kids at that school. My prayers are with them as well. Absolutely. But. Uh, but no, I, I don't think she should be fired unless ESPN wants to fire her. I, you know, I like you said, I think that's a slippery slope, and I'm not interested in going down. And if that's what they believe, that's what they believe, you know. And, you know, one of your other callers said, you know, you you handle it with your pocket. But I bet I bet Fox Sports is doing a whole lot better since this whole thing's been going down. You know, I if they want to handle their business that way, if you, uh, I mean, where does it end? I mean, we we got. These companies are free to spend their money where they want to, to vote on the politicians they want to. Now we're going to tell them that they have to fire people for their political beliefs. I mean, it just goes on and on and on down a rabbit hole that I just don't think we even need to go down. Yes, there's the there's the legal realities of the First Amendment and free speech and workplace issues. And then there's the uh, the, the conceptual issues that attach to free speech in the First Amendment, right? The legal reality is that all the First Amendment does is prevent the government from infringing on your free speech rights. It does not mean that nobody can fire you because freedom of speech. So there's that. But then there's also the... uh, concept of a society in which we are allowed to speak freely even in the workplace and and that's a a standard or that's a a desire that I would like to receive a lot of support right that we can speak freely about ideas but I also understand that you know how, how free is that right I mean that that can't be a blank check because if it is a blank check yeah, you go on the air and trash the CEO, or go on the air. That's a you know, I'm a radio person, right? So I always think in these terms. But you know, go in public and trash the CEO of your company. You're going to have a job. I don't think so, right? <laughs> so, so there are clearly limitations. It's in this instance because her commentary, while I think uh, disgraceful, reckless, and not based in any rational, reasonable fact. Um, it was political in nature, and that's where I that's where I get a little uncomfortable with the somebody's going to get fired for it, right? But you're obviously going to be able to get fired for saying the wrong thing. I mean, this is private private employment is private employment. Um, I think what's interesting is that uh, the left has created so many restrictions on what you can be fired for now. Uh, so 
and yet at the same time, they're the ones who always do the firing for political belief. So it, it's an interesting, it's quite a conundrum, my friend. I think it's fair to say. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, when, when Kurt Schilling got fired from ESPN for tweeting out, I think it was a belief about uh, the transgender bathrooms or something, they fired him in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. That's their prerogative. You know? Yeah. So that's, I want to, and that's free to do it. Thank you. And Brent, shield time and great call from New Mexico. Thank you. And that's an important point. I, I didn't mean to, I obviously stated in the last hour, the double standard is an enormous part of, of the concern here because it's so apparent. And if you, if you offend the left, if you offend the progressive orthodoxy, if you offend protected groups and the left gets to determine who are in those protected groups, Christians, not in a protected group. Uh, you know, it, it depends on what the left says. They get to determine who's protected and who's not. Um, that all said, uh, if you do that, you can lose your job. And if you offend one of these leftist sensibilities, you are in jeopardy of losing your job. It just doesn't work the same way on the other side. It just doesn't. You know, you... You can get away with trashing conservatives in ways that you would never imagine trashing a Democrat or a a liberal in our society, whether you're talking about media figures or in any job. Uh, If you, you know, if you said the wrong things about Obama in your, or I think this would have been true for Hillary as well, in your standard workplace, HR might come, might come looking for you. You say, you can say anything you want about Trump, pretty much. And unless the CEO happens to be a Trump voter, and even then he may be like, look, or she or she, um, you know, may not want a lawsuit on his or her hands. Uh, But you can get away with saying pretty much anything about Trump. Why? Why is that? Uh, I think there's and this is now taking a big step back and I want to get to the Hillary stuff. I've I've spent a lot of time talking about the uh, the white supremacy Uh, charge that is becoming so popular on the left and how dishonestly they use the term. Okay, we went over that. We know the the double standard at ESPN and and across the media and across workplace culture in America. Uh, So those are all very important things, I I believe, to uh, keep in mind. Um, But now here, here we are uh, faced with this, faced with this reality. I I want to uh, let me get let's go to What's going on with? Uh, I, I want to change, change it up here and get to what's going on with Hillary because the book is this is amazing. I I did not think, I did not think that we would see Hillary Clinton do this, but it actually makes sense. Here's why: she's not really a politician in the sense that she's somebody who's been you know obsessed with. Policy. I know she poses as one, but that's not. There, there's no reason to really believe that. <laughs> she's not somebody who does this for to serve the public. She's not somebody who is uh, is a selfless defender of of any particular rights. I mean, she changes all of her position. She's you know a politician who's up for sale. All of that well established. I should note, and I know I'm. Pardon me for the jump here, but I really want to see. I really want to see what the Clinton Foundation has done in terms of donations over the last 12 months. I've got, we've got to, uh, Ty and Amy, remind me, uh, we've got to track down those numbers, because it's going to be public. 
I want to see what the drop-off in donations is over the last 12 months to the Clinton Foundation. I know they shut down the Clinton Global Initiative, which was just a straight-up slush fund to take money from anybody and everybody all over the world for access to the Clintons and for favor from the Clintons. Okay. I really do want to see, though, what... Because if the funding drop-off is... 30, 40%. And I'd be willing I'd be willing to wager that that's what it is. I mean, I think that's probably what you're looking at. Uh, because some foundations have charity money that they're not foundation. Some companies have foundation money and they're going to keep donating for a while. It also would look really bad to the kind of people who can write a $100,000 check or the kind of organizations that can write a $100,000 check to the Clinton Foundation. It would look really bad if, oh, she lost the election. Yeah, now we don't care about, you know, clean drinking water in sub-Saharan Africa so much anymore. Sorry. Now we don't care about women's empowerment or climate change or whatever. Sorry. It would look bad. I think there's probably enough awareness among savvy companies that have a public image that, you know, the, the, the dictatorships, the Saudis and the whoever, you know, they'll, well, yeah, they'll, they don't care. They'll, they'll cut off the money, right? You know, the Russians, whomever. Yeah, that's right. Hillary, money from the Russians. We always forget about that, don't we? Her husband got paid 500 Gs to give a speech with, to give a speech uh, that was, and what was it, 800? It might have been 800 Gs, actually. I think it was 800 grand. I think it was his most expensive speech ever. I mean, I was worth every penny uh, to a Russian bank with ties to the, the Kremlin. But, you know, that's just a straight up check. To Bill Clinton, because his speech was, because Bill Clinton's speech is worth so much to a bank with uh, ties to the Kremlin. Really? Really? Uh, but I want to see what the Clinton Foundation's checkbook looks like over the last 12 months. That will be a fascinating discussion, and it'll expose a lot of the hacks out there, because I'm then you're going to see, if they're, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe they've papered it over, they've made it, you know, there are enough people that just want to give money. Maybe they buy into the, the Clinton myth about how they really want to help the world. But if there's a 30 or 40% drop-off, even really a 20% drop, because it's a charitable donation, it shouldn't matter that Hillary didn't win, then we all know. And then you'll watch the little the little Clinton quizlings go up on MSNBC and CNN and say, well, you know, Hillary is just a great humanitarian. The real shame is that they're giving her less money to do good things around the world. And it just, just prostrate themselves in front of the, the Clinton media power machine. Uh, anyway, well, I was talking about Hillary. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've, I've regained the thread here. I'm going to bring it back to center. I'm bringing it back to neutral, recharge my batteries. It's a wedding crashers reference. Uh, Hillary has shown us that she's really actually a celebrity playing a politician, that she's really a politician's wife who then traded upon that celebrity to pose as a policy wonk, a a politico, a person that is, you know, going to be doing great things for this country, a person of history, you know, a person who will change history. She's posing as one. And now that that's not her reality anymore, I don't, she can't handle it. It's like, what do you mean you don't love me? I mean, it's really bad. And because she's out there just making a mockery of herself, which is hard to do for uh, Benghazi Hillary, but that's what's going on. All right, we've got lines lit here in the Freedom Hut. Buck Sexton, back with you all. Lori in New Jersey listening on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Lori. Buck, how you doing? I'm good. Original squad. Lori, I remember Lori calling in from, like, the days when it was just 
a show for me, Lori, immediate family members of mine, and like 15 other people. So I mean, literally day one, Buck. So, I know. So glad, by the way, to hear you back on The Blaze. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be back on The, back on the Blaze live, too, which is fantastic. So live. what's on your mind, Lori? So about this ESPN commentator, I, I really am I'm a little flummoxed as to why this is so difficult to understand. No one, certainly not me, would be suggesting that she ought to be fired for any opinion that she holds. That's not the issue. The issue is that the idiots at ESPN, think it, they seem to think they have to bless the expression of her opinion as a professional associated with ESPN. So you're That's saying that they, because they, they said, like, uh, they talked to her or something, right? I mean, that was the only public statement from them Remember, that I saw. How about Kurt Schilling? They didn't just talk to him, did they? Yeah, well, this is the double standard I was talking about, which couldn't be more so, obvious. So, you know, you framed the issue, and other, others have framed the issue. Uh, should she be fired for her opinion? No. I don't care what her opinion is about that, about Trump, about politics. She's a sports commentator. You know, but ESPN needs to belly up to the bar and do the hard thing and say to the employees, you're talking about sports. You're here to talk about sports, period, the end. We have millions, tens of millions of listeners who don't want to hear your political commentary. But, and if they listen to your political commentary, they're going to turn the dial somewhere else. But, you know, ESPN has been encouraging, encouraging their uh, commentators to do more in the political commentary space so they're they're in a sense getting what they want at the executive level which is kind of amazing to me laurie except people need to keep in mind that there are true believers out there on the progressive left in media who they they will watch ratings suffer it's not always business first they'll watch ratings suffer to push an agenda it's especially fascinating buck in light of hillary's comment about we need more comp no more podcasts for our viewpoint, because we can't get any media time. That was astonishing, wasn't it? As, as if the Democrats don't have enough outlets. And, and I should also note that, you know, on the podcast rankings that are out there, they play all of these games uh, whereby, you know, this show, for example, has a lot of podcast downloads month in and month out. A lot. But because it's conservative talk and because it's also radio, they have all these little, uh, it's kind of like the New York Times bestseller book list. All of a sudden, you won't see certain books or, you know, it doesn't appear there. And they'll say, oh, well, it's the algorithm. No, they're actually cooking the books. And on podcasts, I can tell you it's the same thing. Some people have been able to get around it. But if you do a show every day and they put it on a podcast, they will knock it down, which who's, let me ask you this, Lori, who who do you think is doing a show every day that could be a podcast? Podcast. radio hosts where do conservatives right, exactly. have the biggest advantage in media Absolutely. radio, radio it's not sure. an it's not an accident you know but i mean this no it's he, not and of course conservatives have been actively excluded from uh what should be just uh non-political outlets like espn and we do have to vote with our feet i was never a big espn consumer although i admit to watching last week because they had the u.s open on but you know ordinarily not interested but i'm certainly not going there now yeah, well, Lori, hopefully you'll, you'll buy some uh, Black Rifle coffee and some Bowling Brand sheets. I already <laughs> thank, did. Thank you. I Great. I, they're Black both fantastic coffee. products, fantastic companies. Thank you, Lori. Shields high and a big hug. It's always great to hear from you. Uh, Dr. Rick in Silver Spring, Maryland. Hey, Dr. Rick. Hey, you, you had me laughing when you did an impression of a Hillary devotee. You sounded, you know, like Pee Wee Herman, by the way. <laughs> there we go. I remember actually seeing some of that. What, it was a Pee Wee's Playhouse when I was a kid? That was the show, right? 
Yes, you you were really good. Thank you. You know, just one thing. You know, you are like my armory. I get rearmed with facts to go out there based on what you do. And, uh, you know, it is such an incredible service. So I'm glad you're back on the blaze. We need to get more people listening so we can go out there and try to intelligently argue uh, the point over and over again. Thank you so much. And absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. No, it's a real problem. You know, I, I love Chris Plant, the local guy here, and he says, you know, if liberals didn't have uh, double standards, they'd have no standards at all. And it is maddening what goes on, and it's maddening they, that they don't want to hear facts, and you just keep hitting them over the head with facts and facts and facts and, and things like PragerU and different things and your show. Um, and so, you know, you're fighting the good fight, so thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rick. Please spread the, spread the uh, good word about... Uh... Buck Saxon with America now in the in the Maryland area to all the folks you can. He's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. What's the intention of the book, do you think? I think the intention of the book was two things. One, it was to really I think just vent and, and get it out there because there are so many people like Hillary Clinton who are still writing about this, who are still thinking about this, who are still in therapy, frankly, the sources that I know who yeah. are still really upset about the election. Here's a journalist that was on uh, Joe and Mika, the Joe and Mika hours on MSNBC. Uh, you have a journalist there saying that, yeah, this is like a group therapy book tour for all the journalists out there who are still in therapy who who need who need help because they're so upset that Hillary lost. So it's not like I exaggerate when I say that it seems like a a group therapy tour or it's definitely therapy for Hillary. I think it's for a lot of journalists too. This is cuz this is a, a completely unnecessary uh recitation of what we all already know from Hillary. Whether she, and it's not she's not going to be able to rewrite the history here. We're all too familiar with exactly what happened. I have some incredible stuff from this from this book and from this book tour to share with you here in just a moment. But, but let's start with there's so much of the blame game coming out of the Clinton camp right now from from Hillary herself that it is hard to keep up. Uh, you have. Here, here are just the things. This is courtesy, actually, a list of our friend, uh, from our friend Sarah Westwood. She put this out on Twitter. Uh, only a couple chapters in, quote, and here are all, all the things Clinton has blamed for her election law so far. Interference from the Kremlin. The unpre- That's one. The unprecedented intervention in our election by the director of the FBI. Two. Three, a political press that told voters that my emails were the most important story. Four, deep currents of anger and resentment flowing through our culture. Five, the media gave Trump free wall-to-wall coverage. Six, Fox News was turning politics into an evidence-free zone of seething resentments. (laughs) I love this. Seven, maybe it's because I'm a woman and we're not used to women running for president. Okay, misogyny is what she's saying there. Eight, The problem started with history. It was exceedingly difficult for either party to hold on to the White House for more than eight years. Literally everything is wrong here other than Hillary. And I'm sure you could add to this list. She'd say, "Uh uh-huh, yes, correct. She thinks that all of this is why she didn't win. That she didn't, I can't even remember how long it was before she gave an interview, a real interview to the press, and that it was so clear to anybody that she didn't know why she was running. She was running because she was Hillary Clinton. She was running because she's a politician's wife who became a celebrity who was posing as a politician. 
That's just what happened. That's just the way that it was. Translated being a first lady into being a senator for a state she had no business winning a Senate seat in. And but, you know, just with the media and the northeastern coastal elites and the people I grew up around. I understand this. I know it. And then made her secretary of state based on what? Because she's a Clinton. Because it was part of the dynastic rule of the Democratic Party. That was a her as secretary of state was just a, a basically a, a holding pattern until she could run and take over from Barack Obama. It's not foreign policy expertise. Doesn't know anything. I think it's so so funny that all these people within the State Department are, oh, I can't work for Hillary. I mean, I can't work for Trump. You know, this is so different than Hillary. If, if you are an expert on any subject, you should have also felt like Hillary Clinton was an expert on no subject other than Hillary and self-promotion and making making deals with the devil. But I uh, digress. Okay. Uh, she said that the Comey letter was run, one reason she didn't win. So. I would have won but for Jim Comey's letter mm-hmm. on October the 28th. Now... People, people say, well, you know, but it was, you know, why would it have been so close? We have close elections. I mean, that is kind of the reality of our politics right now. Um, but that stopped my momentum, and it really did cause enough people to move away from me. I think people were moving away from her anyway. Come here, I want a hug. But I really think that people had had enough of Hillary long before this all happened. Remember, this is the second election she lost. Why did she lose to Barack Obama in the primary presidency? What what happened there? Was that also the media? For her to, to she is delusional. I mean, for her to say that that the left wing needs more uh, media outlets. I mean, there was like Verit, I think, is what it's called. This new site that's being started by this Hillary super super fan and super promoter because there aren't there aren't enough websites for Hillary Clinton fans to go to. Uh, people are living in an alternate reality. A lot of Democrats I know are living in an alternate reality. Uh, oh, she also blamed Russia, of course. Russia, Russia, Russia. 11. It's not just about the past. For example, the Russians are still messing with our democracy, right. and they will be as aggressive as they can get away with. Again, not a Republican or Democratic issue. They may have gone after me this last time. But if they think they can destabilize us, which is Putin's principal goal, he wants to undermine democracy, our democracy, our alliance with the Western democracies. If he can succeed in that, we are all going to be worse off. Let's unpack that for a moment, shall we? And I'll get to the funny and amazing stuff about Hillary, because there's some great stuff. Right now I'm giving you the, the, the policy, the meat, but, but the, the dessert is coming up of some of the, the stuff from her book. I mean, it's amazing. From her book tour, the rules. Oh, I've got some great stuff for you. But we're this is the blame the blame game, the blame cycle that she's going through right now. She says this thing about Russia undermining democracy. What do you think undermines our democracy, which I know is a republic, but we have democratic institutions, and let's not get into the semantics too much, shall we? What do you think undermines democracy more? Uh, some Russian bots putting out fake news stories on Facebook and uh, trying to, I don't know, influence public. I mean, fake news, if you've ever been to a grocery store, you've seen some of those magazines by the checkout that say that, you know, an alien was born in the desert with the face of Elvis or something. I mean, you know, fake news has been around a long time. 
I should also note that it was the National Enquirer that broke the John Edwards story, which none of the media outlets would touch initially. I should, they did break that. <laughs> just amazing as it is. Um, okay, but what what harms our democracy more? That fake news from Russia and and the the Podesta emails that were released and all this, or the president of the or sorry the. Um, presidential candidate from a, a political party that lost more or less calling the election illegitimate. W- what do you think does more damage to our confidence in our institutions here? If it were really about supporting American institutions, I think calling an election illegitimate without the evidence to do so would fall under that category. That would be a problem. But it has nothing to do with that. It's just sour grapes. Sore losers. That's all it is. That's that's what this comes down to. And there's something both enlightening and pathetic about this whole Hillary tour. Enlightening in that we're really seeing who this person is. Because there's no, you know, there's no more mask. There's no more facade. No, there's, there's no more, I'm America's grandma, hug me. I mean, that's all gone. So now she's just out there saying what she wants to say to it. She doesn't need the money. Very, very rich off of selling influence, pretending that it's from speech money. But oh, it is from speech money, but it's influence peddling. Uh, But now we get to see who the real Hillary is. And, you know, whenever I know that not Hillary is is not a sufficient standard by which to judge the Trump administration and Donald Trump's success or, or lack thereof as a president. But it is also something that we should keep in mind. <laughs> it is it is interesting that the people who claim that voting for Donald Trump is some kind of moral defect, which is what the the biggest media outlets, with the exception of Fox, and the, you know, th- that's the storyline that they're running with. Uh, that has a lot less resonance when they're also out of the other side of their mouth saying, isn't Hillary great? Nah, nah, bro. Not so great. Not so great. Uh, So she's blaming everybody. She's all over the place blaming. And of course, sexism, because she's whiny. Because one thing that's really going to advance uh, the the role of women in politics is for the first female presidential candidate who is a terrible candidate and made horrific decisions and mistakes along the way. I would offer to you that it's actually somewhat amazing that so many in the press, based on what Hillary Clinton had done, we're so certain that she was going to win. She's under an active FBI investigation, everybody, for real stuff. And she did the stuff that she was under investigation for. And the press still was sure. They were sure that she was going to win. What does that say about them? What are we to take away from that? But also, you know, she's a woman. Ah, so she's yelling about sexism. You know, I write in the book about an incredible conversation I had with Sheryl Sandberg, who has done so much work to really untangle what it is, what, you know, what's like realistic in terms of, okay, here's what you have to do to be successful and what is tinged, if not affected by sexism. And she says, look, the research is absolutely clear. The more professionally successful a man becomes, the more likable he is the more professionally successful a woman becomes, the less likable she is. Yeah, blame it on on second. Hillary is not likable because she is female. 
That's what she's saying. Or that was her problem. It, it is uh, pretty astonishing to see all these claims come out. All right, Team Buck, a promise is a promise. I said I would uh, bring, bring you up to speed on some of the great stuff in Hillary's book. I, I should probably commit to, I, I don't like to give the Clinton, you know, the Clinton um, machine any more money, but uh, I, I might have to buy this book so I could read it, because I've been reading excerpts of it, but I, I probably will just uh, rip through it maybe this weekend or something. Just This is the only one that I would find particularly interesting, I think, from Hillary, because all the other ones were just ghost writers that are... It's a political document in the in the guise of a book, right? That's what that was. You know, it takes a village and all this stuff that she used to write or that people would write under her name. Uh, but he, here's some stuff. First of all, at the Barnes & Noble here in New York City, Union Square, which is a very large Barnes & Noble, I think it's like the flagship Barnes & Noble in New York, uh, they gave out these, I saw this, they gave out these little slips of paper to let everybody know. And here are among the rules for the book signing. Um no other books or memorabilia, post, posed photos or selfies will not be taking place. And please be aware that due to increased security, customers will not be allowed to bring any large items to the third or fourth floor. Book purchase and wristbands are both required to meet the author. No exceptions. Customers without wristbands will not be allowed to participate in any capacity. <laughs> I mean, they're really strict about this. You know, you can't just like want to shake Hillary, the former first lady's hand. You better buy a book. Or else, okay, maybe look. It's you know, it's capitalism. I get it. They can set the rules, but I just want to show. It seemed a little extreme. Here's an excerpt though from the book that I was just. This is, this is jaw hit the table stuff. Quote: Since November, I would do this in Hillary voice, but I would I would actually lose my voice because it's hard to do Hillary voice. Why? Um, since November, more than two dozen women of all ages, but mostly in their 20s, had approached me in restaurants, theaters, and stores to apologize for not voting or doing more to help my campaign. I responded with forced smiles and tight nods. On one occasion, an older woman dragged her adult daughter by the arm to come talk to me and ordered her to apologize for not voting, which she did, head bowed in contrition. I wanted to state right, stare right in her eyes and say, you didn't vote? How could you not vote? You abdicated your responsibility as a citizen at the worst possible time, and now you want me to make you feel better? Of course I didn't say any of that. These people were looking for absolution that I just couldn't give. We all have to live with the consequences of our decisions. She's crazy! I mean... It's like Hillary's the, the the Pope of progressivism, and people have to go to her and seek, she used the term absolution. Like you're going to confess your sins against the statist progressive orthodoxy. You know, not a far left Democrat enough, not willing to do enough for her. Remember that slogan, I'm with her? It's really, I work for her, if you are a Democrat. That's what it was supposed to be. I am her subject. If you wanted a window into the royal mentality that Hillary Clinton has, which she is part of an American political dynasty, let's just call it what it is. And I do not like dynasties on the left or on the right. And I will be consistent on this. I don't want anybody running because their last name. Yeah, I know. I think George W. Bush was a good man. I don't think he was the best possible option for president. I'm just going to say it. 
I don't like dynasties. I don't like people that think that we owe them something because of their family lineage, their last name. I just, I don't. I mean, you know, people can like it and think it's great. I don't. I just feel that doesn't feel very American to me. I also don't like nepotism, but that's conversation for another day. But here she is telling us that people go up to her and apologize, and she feels apologized, average citizens, for not doing enough to get her this deeply entitled, grasping, unlikable, corrupt woman. Didn't do enough to get her elected, and she feels contempt towards them. She wants to yell at them. She's writing this in her book. I mean... Come on, everybody. Am, am I the only... I can't be the only one who thinks this is bonkersville. <laughs> I mean, you read this and you're just left being like, what the heck is going on? Oh, one more. Um, this is from... Okay. She writes that... <laughs> I, I couldn't believe this either. Quote, so this is her version of one of the things that's wrong here. Attempting to define reality is a core feature of authoritarianism. This is what the Soviets did when they erased political dissidents from historical photos. This is what happens in George Orwell's classic novel 1984 when a torturer holds up four fingers and delivers electric shocks until his prisoner sees five fingers as ordered. The goal is to make you question logic and reason and to sow mistrust toward exactly the people we need to rely on. Our leaders, the press, experts who seek to guide public policy based on evidence. For Trump, as with so much he does, it's about simple dominance. Hillary Clinton, whether she wrote this or not, she signed off on it, in her book is saying, the problem with 1984 is that the people who are working for Big Brother are reducing trust in Big Brother. Yeah, that's the problem, Hillary. We don't we don't have enough expert statists running things in 1984. I mean, I go back to what Bannon said about her. She's just not that smart. I mean, I'm not saying she's dumb, but she's just not that smart. I, I think we had a lot of evidence for this right now. Really unimpressive. I mean, I've been telling you for a while. Why do you guys think I've been dealing with this? It's crazy what I've put up with. I mean, Hillary, you know, she's running around saying all this stuff, and I'm just like... I should have gone for term three, baby. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I I don't even know what to say. And I'm all I do is talk for a living, right? So that's saying something. Uh, buck, back with you all now, team. Uh, Chelsea Manning, formerly Bradley Manning. Dead naming, which is when you name a transgender person's previous name before they, quote, change genders, even though gender transition is not something that is medically, scientifically possible, uh, is is now grounds, according to progressives on the left, that's grounds, that's grounds for termination, or at least discipline, if you dead name, quote, dead name somebody. So if you ever say Bradley Manning, even in reference to Chelsea Manning's previous name, that's, that is to be, you want to talk about Soviet rewriting of history, that, that's not allowed anymore. Uh, it it's it's amazing, but that is the truth. Uh, Chelsea Manning, according to Military Times here, will be joining Harvard University as a visiting fellow at the Kennedy School of Government, according to the school's website. I want to tell you something, a little insider, uh, inside baseball here, because I could have gone to any 
international relations, security studies, grad school. It's not, I'm not a brag or a humble brag, or maybe it is a brag. Whatever, I'm just telling you, I could have gone to any of those schools um, if I decided to, based on my government service, it wouldn't have been hard at all. Um, and and in fact, it, without getting too into it, I mean, I, I knew that those were all options for me. I can tell you the Kennedy, the Kennedy School is basically trading off the Harvard name without really, it's just not, it's just not that impressive. I, don't, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying that it's like, ooh, I went to the Kennedy School of Government. Well, you can basically find out everything you're learning there for free on the Internet. I mean, I'm, I have friends who went, many of them, they have degrees, and they'll be the first to admit it. They're like, yeah, it's kind of like going to J school, which is journalism school, which is also not really worth it. So, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, throwing a little, a little stuff uh, the way of Harvard right now. I don't know. If it's, oh, you know, if you could have gone there, you would have. Yeah, whatever. Trust me. Kennedy School is not. Undergraduate's incredibly hard to get into, and it's all unfair and everything. And people, there's a, a million different ways people get into these schools. point I'm trying to make is a Kennedy School already is not what people think it is in terms of how impressive it is, although it does carry the Harvard name. But I think this tells you a lot. Um, when they hire a visiting fellow who uh, committed... Uh, espionage against uh, against his own country uh, and didn't well, remember there was no uh pardon so chelsea manning is a convicted criminal just had a commuted sentence that's all and harvard harvard university hiring to be a fellow to speak on issues of lgbtq in the military you know if the lgbtq population within the military w- wants to have a discussion about the future that all I'm all for it, right? And and policy and everything else. Do not line up behind Chelsea Manning as your spokesperson, because I'm not going to take that seriously, and I'm not going to want to hear it. And I think a lot of you probably feel the same way. Um, I'm guessing actually all of you feel the same way. But you know, there's always there's one or two angry one or two angry listeners right now in uh, you know. The Bay Area, Los Angeles, maybe, uh, I'm trying to think where else, you know, the most liberal places imaginable. Nantucket. Oh, it's a little late in the year for Nantucket. Hello, Buck. I'm listening to you from Nantucket. It's where all the super fancy rich journalists go, by the way, because they love the people so much. So they go to a hyper expensive, tiny little island off of New England. That's where they spend their time on vacation. But they love the people, you know. They're really concerned about the plight of illegal immigrants, but they spend all their free time in Nantucket. Uh... Where was I? Okay, so Chelsea Manning hired at Harvard, which is a disgrace. And, oh, I got a call here. Phil in New Hampshire on the iHeart app. What's going on, Phil? Just got to weigh in and let you, just got to weigh in and let you know that it's absolutely brutal and unfair to have to listen to the whole Hillary thing and, and try to keep my mind on the idea that I was going to call you with, (laughs) you know, because, it's just shooting fish in a barrel, and I'm thinking, oh, well, all these other things that would just be great to talk about. Uh, and I, I, uh, Hillary, Hillary I, is distracting. It's one of her many skills. Oh, it's and and the last thing you brought up about Manning, I mean, you know, it's further proof that the the left is going to auger in in these colleges and universities. The media are, I, I think, they're really missing what a lot of us out here are are kind of thinking and. Uh, and as they augured more and more deeply in, and Dartmouth has had some shenanigans, and uh, oh, yeah. you know, Phil, not to—I I know I'm borderline. It's going to sound borderline solipsistic here, 
meaning that I consider myself to be the center of the universe, solipsism. Uh, word of the day, everybody. Um, but, you know, Amherst College, my alma mater, which was in the news just recently because of the, and, you know, the, the banner about, uh, about flags covering dead bodies in the war on terror, um, but they used to invite me. When I worked for the government, I would get invited. I got invited a few times. I went up and spoke uh, at Amherst College. Now that I'm a media figure with a nationally syndicated radio show, worked at big networks, uh, et cetera, et cetera, not a peep. They would never have me to the campus. Never. It's crazy. I'm an alumni. They won't have me. No interest. They used to ask me, so it's not like they're not aware of me. It's not like the administrators aren't aware of who I am. But they would never let me go back anymore. I mean, these places have been not just infiltrated. They have been cleansed of conservatism. It has been eliminated. It is gone. It, it, one of my litmus tests for anybody that I, I would ever have a political conversation with is, you know, let's start by at least concede that liberal ideology has infiltrated our entire educational system. Concede that point, please, and also concede that the media is is left and has been for a long time. And if somebody won't at least give me that as a starting point, then you're talking to a fully delusional Democrat left wing. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's pointless to speak. Absolutely. To um, Phil, man, great to hear from you up in New Hampshire. Shields high. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'll say one thing. The bias in media has even affected, uh, affected me. I mean, I see it. There are people that I have worked with over the years uh, or or been around and worked with in good faith and I've never wronged them I've never I've never professionally or personally done anything against them or to harm them but I have later found out that behind my back or without you know be, behind my back they've essentially tried to uh, you know submarine me deep six me take me out you know tried to cause problems for me because I'm a conservative, because of what I believe and say, and I'm very open about it, upfront, and I'll talk to anybody. But they have I, this is it's it's troubling, and it's part of this mentality that is, exists on the left. It's really a, a totalitarian mindset. You know, there are people who, yeah, they're all smiles, and you know, they're they're journalists, and you know, we can be friends off air or whatever. And and I always take the approach of I treat every individual as an individual, but. Because I'm a conservative, I have found out that there are people across the aisle who pretend like we can actually just be normal human beings and interact. And then later on, I find out they've been working against me in secret the whole time. And I'm not paranoid. I've found this out for sure, for real. So it's interesting as that plays out. But it's not just in this country that we have debates over statues and our history and what we should and should not celebrate uh, this iconoclastic impulse on the left is uh, something that exists in Europe as well. There's a news story up about how uh, left-wing extremists vandalized a statue to the Polish king Jan Sobieski. Uh, and if you don't know this, uh, this is a fantastic time to get into the history, though I have to apologize, we are a day Late, But before I tell you what the history is, you have these alt-left extremists that wrote Nazi, uh, or no Nazi rather, no Nazis, on this statue, uh, this monument to Jan Sobieski, who is what was involved in one of the most important battles in 
Western civilization's history. And I have to tell you, I think it is no accident at all that very few people in this country learn about this in school. I was never taught this. It might have been one sentence in a textbook that I read during, you know, advanced. I took AP European history uh, in high school. I don't think I ever spent any time on this subject. I've had to teach myself this. In fact, if you were to look at my bookshelf, you would see that there are a series of history books dealing with the Barbary states, with the Battle of Lepanto, which we will be talking about in some detail coming up in October during its anniversary, with the Siege of Malta, which I will tell you more about later this week, with the various sieges of Vienna. These are incredibly important historical, uh, well, incredibly important battles and historical markers for what was the greatest period of expansion of the Islamic conquest. Yesterday, here's what the protest had to do with and the the reason these alt-left crazies are defacing a statue of a Polish king from the 17th century. September 12th, 1683 was the day that the second great siege of Vienna was broken by the largest cavalry charge in history. You see, what they don't tell you in school is that the Ottoman Empire was a virulently uh, expansionistic and uh, ethnocentric and religiously sectarian uh, empire built on conquest and slavery. Uh, They pretend that there was all of this, there was peace and love and the Ottomans were great and they were so powerful. Uh, The Ottomans were trying to take control of Europe. They were trying to eradicate Christianity. These battles that I am rattling off to you, whether it is the Battle of Malta in uh, uh, 1565 or the first great siege of Vienna in 1529 or the Battle of Lepanto in 1571 or the second great siege of Vienna in 1683. These are all dates that everybody who goes through high school, everyone who's taken history classes should know, but we don't. I didn't know them either until I got out of school. I had to teach myself because we have this storyline about how Islam is so oppressed and Islam in the colonial period was suffering under the the vile dictates of Western European powers like France and Britain. We all know about Balfour uh, and his declaration. We all know about Sykes-Picot and the carving up of the Near East between British and French spheres of influence, or at least we hear about that in these history classes. What you don't hear is that the Ottomans were trying to grab at the throat of Europe itself, which was Christendom. These are synonymous terms. There was no Christendom really beyond Europe, with the exception of some settlements in the New World, and they were trying to destroy it. They were trying to stamp it out, and they got pretty darn close. Uh, Malta, Lepanto, Vienna 1, Vienna 2, these are essential battles, and yesterday is the commemoration, or should be, the commemoration of the one of the most important military defeats in history. You had the Ottoman Empire lay siege to the city of Vienna, currently capital of Austria, but at this point in time, the, Hung- uh, the Hungarian state, the Austrian state, these weren't 
actually countries that existed, they were all broken up into these different kingdoms. But those kingdoms uh, that were part of really the the whole, what had been the Holy Roman Empire and the Habsburg dynasties, domains, Eastern Europe was essential, incredibly powerful. And Eastern Europe was the bulwark. It was the place where Islam was running into a Christendom that was willing to defend itself. Now, the Muslim advance into Eastern Europe had been going on for centuries. There were hundreds of years of these battles between Christians and the Ottomans. Now, the Ottomans were, for all intents and purposes, uh, emblematic of and the sole domain of Islam because the Ottomans controlled what we now think of as the Middle East. They controlled North Africa. So the Ottoman Empire was the caliphate. So when I talk to you about battles between Christendom and the Ottomans, I'm really, or rather, uh, the the Holy League states or allied Christian states against the Ottomans, what we're talking about is Christendom versus the caliphate. That's what's really happening. And the Battle of Vienna was when the Ottomans got together 150,000 troops and surrounded Vienna. Uh, it was a siege that lasted for a couple of months, and they were close to taking the city. They were tunneling closer and closer to the inner walls. They broke the outer defenses and were close to the inner walls. Another bit of history that I'm willing to bet none of us were taught in school, and I say that with full self-awareness because I wasn't taught it in school either, and I had to go and find old, dusty, out-of-print history books to really learn about some of this stuff on my own. How many people could tell me about the Perchtoldsdorf Massacre? And I know that sounds kind of weird, like, Buck, why do you want to tell us about the Perchtoldsdorf Massacre? Well, because it was a turning point in our own history because of the impact that it had on the Second Great Siege of Vienna, which, again, the commemoration of the Christian victory over the caliphate is yesterday, September 12th, back in 1683. And Jan Sobieski led the relief force, which, which then led to a massive cavalry charge to defeat the Ottomans. But Perktoldsdorf was this little town that was on the way to Vienna. And the Ottomans, remember, the Ottomans are so trustworthy. They're multicultural, multilingual. That's what you're taught in school. The Ottomans told this little town, if you hand over the keys, if you surrender without a fight, you will just be under the Sultan's domain, but none of you will be harmed. And do you know what the Ottomans did? Just because they felt like it. They massacred the inhabitants of the town, breaking what had been a long-standing procedure for sieges going back for centuries. If you hand over the keys, even in the days of the Mongol invasions, if you don't fight, you don't die. That was the deal. They broke that deal. And because they broke that deal, there was a steely-backed resolve among the defenders of Vienna, who were greatly outnumbered, to hold at all costs. If it's not for Perktoldsdorf, if it is not for the message by, sent by the Sultan's own massacre under uh, his, his pasha, the Grand Vizier that was the instrument of his military will, if there had not been this massacre, perhaps Vienna would have wanted to negotiate. Perhaps Vienna would have fallen, fallen into the hands of the Ottomans. And Vienna is, of course, 
the gateway to the rest of Europe, the Danube, Eastern Europe was going to be decisive in the future of the rest of Christendom. And it was only because of Jan Sobieski and that charge with his hussars, with his elite cavalry troops, routing and defeating this massive Ottoman force on September 12th, 1683, that you and I are not sitting here getting ready to say our evening prayers facing Mecca and speaking some version of Turkish. I know that sounds crazy, but trust me, it would have been a very different history for Europe if the Islamic conquest, if the offensive jihad had taken Vienna in the heart of Europe, it would have changed everything. And that's why the left, because they view Islam as a counterweight to Western civilization and Christianity, that's why they hate Jan Sobieski. So let's celebrate him a bit, my friends. High five for winning the siege of Vienna and saving Christendom and with it the Western world. We tip our hat to you, Jan Sobieski. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. All right, everybody, big day in the news cycle. Lots going on. And to help us make sense of some of it, Joe Concha, tell me a bit about um, Jamil Hill and this whole ESPN controversy. Oh, you mean Jamil Hill, who anchors Sports Center at 6 o'clock on ESPN and called the president a white supremacist? That Jamil Hill? Yeah, uh, tweeted that out. Um, the tweets are still up, they haven't been deleted. Uh, ESPN said they spoke to Jamil about it, and she understands that it's inappropriate, and that's the end of it. No suspension, uh, no reprimand uh, as far as we could see in any capacity. She's on the air. Uh, she was on the air the day after she said it. And meanwhile, ESPN in the past has fired people for tweets much, much less offensive, regardless of whether you like President Trump or not, including uh, the Kurt Schillings of the world, Colin Coward, the guy who did uh, the Monday Night Football theme, Hank Williams Jr. So, ESPN appears to be having an issue with selective justice in terms of firing people that tend to uh, share conservative views while promoting uh, those who uh, share views that are in line with, say, Black Lives Matter or your average leftist extremist. And didn't ESPN fire somebody for not even their political bent, but just what was a mistake, but that offended uh, the the PC crowd? Uh, Didn't someone write chink in the armor years ago on ESPN and get fired? Yeah, yeah. There, there was a uh, there was an Asian point guard that that played for the Knicks. Uh, that um, you know he he started he, he was spectacular coming out of the gate and, and yeah, Jeremy Lin of all these points. Yeah, Jeremy Lin exactly. The name was escaping me for a second. Uh, and it, it, Jeremy Lin, it was just incredible. It was just lighting the city on fire. And then you know, I guess as the season wore down, he wasn't quite as hot as he was before. And then somebody just wrote, "Oh, a chink in." chinking the armor, and I think they were breaking down like his defense and how he couldn't guard big point guards. Uh, and literally, that was it, and, and uh, that was the end of that. Yeah, he was done. He was fired. I mean, they were, which I should note, there's no way that that guy wrote that thinking that he was using a racial slur, because to use a racial slur at ESPN is to beg to be fired, right? So there's, it was clearly an accident. Of course, and he said it was an accident, and it should have just been, okay, don't do it again, or all right, a bad choice of words, but it wasn't even that. I mean, it's a common sports term when you're talking about somebody who has a liability playing a certain sport. It's ridiculous. So, anyway, uh, what I was going to say was that... ESPN, ESPN is now, is ESPN is now MSNBC with sports, Joe. It's true. It's been that way for a while. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. MSESPN is, is what one Fox Sports uh, <laughs> columnist calls it. But look, they've gone the, the TV land route. Remember TV land took Dukes of Hazard off the air? I don't uh, remember that. Yeah, for all for, for eternity, because they had a car called the General Lee that had the stars and parts on the top of the car. So now they've gone the same route in that they actually, two weeks ago, uh, took a guy off the air, Robert Lee, an Asian. Oh, I remember. We and talked about this on the show. This was crazy. Yeah, and moved him to another game because he was doing a game in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. <laughs> that, that was the most insane thing. And then the week before that, they apologized for holding a fantasy football league draft auction because some extremists on social media, not even notable people, said, hey, that's like a slave auction, which is kind of funny because my fantasy football league team had plenty of white guys on it. And the NFL, Matt Ryan, Gronkowski, Goskowski, Julian Edelman, how could you have a slave auction when there's white and black people in the league? Plus everybody, everybody who's getting drafted in the NFL – they're, they're making millions of dollars, so there's that aspect of it, too. It, it is about as far away from slavery as it gets when you're making what one one-hundredth of one percent of the American people make in, term of, in terms of wages. That's, a, that, that's an excellent point. I should have made that as well. So, yeah, they, they've lost their mind completely, and now they're losing their ratings. Look, there's cord cutting going on, and obviously more people are watching things online and through streaming aspects. I get that, but... The political aspect and all the people I speak to, I used to be a sports writer. I have plenty of friends that are sports freaks that say, you know what, I'm just watching Fox Sports 1 because I can't sit there and have politics. Colin Kaepernick shoved down my throat every two minutes. I just want the damn score, the damn game, and I just want an analysis of a nickel defense. Really, that's it. I thought it was great, by the way, when you had when you had a Jamel, uh, what's the word, Jamel Hill, Hill. Uh, with, with Colin Kaepernick. He tweeted out last night, we stand with you. I'm like, oh, that's going to help. <laughs> Yeah. This is going to quiet well, the storm. It comes down to, right? I mean, now now it's a matter of taking sides. And and now if you're a conservative or you you know actually voted for the president, uh, or or you're just kind of apathetic towards him, you're like, I don't want to watch this network anymore. When when their 6 p.m. anchor, which is the flagship Sports Center show, thinks that the president is a white supremacist, can tweet that out and nothing happens to her. That's the thing. If, if other people weren't fired for their political views, then you'd say, okay, well that's just the way they are. But it isn't selective justice, and it's nuts. Uh, let's switch gears here for a second. We're speaking to Joe Concha, media reporter and columnist for The Hill. Uh, here's how the press, uh, NBC at least, speaks to Hillary Clinton. Nine months ago and afterwards, they sickly come to you and they say, how's your pain? Scale to 10, one to 10. How's your pain? So I, I thought, let's start there. How's your pain? How are you doing? Well, did you view it as a historic document? Or did you view it as kind of a literary version of a cleanse for you? You talk about sexism. I do. You talk about misogyny. And I don't have to tell you, as a female in public life, that's something that a lot of female political candidates try not to talk about when they're right. running for office. And yet, here you are, and you lay it out. You, I was thinking, this country did elect an African-American president twice. Do you think it's harder for Americans to elect a woman than it is an African-American man? You write in the book about trying to come to terms with this idea that there are a lot of people in this country who simply don't like you, not for political reasons, but it seems more personal reasons. Mm -hmm. At this, this stage in your life, does even having to ask yourself the question of why hurt? Okay, so we get the idea, Joe. Uh, it, I've seen tougher <laughs> interviews regularly on Bravo with the Real Housewives because Molly makes me watch it. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know even what to say about that. It, this is a therapy session being played out in broad daylight where you have Hillary Clinton, who, at my count, has now blamed 42 different things or entities for losing besides herself. 
talking about her feelings and why she lost an election, why it was robbed from her while everybody conspired against her to make her lose. And then instead of interviewers truly pushing back, saying, why didn't you go to Wisconsin more, for example? Uh, or why didn't you campaign more than a couple of days a week, for example? Did you think you had it in the bag and therefore you took everything for granted? I mean, you pretend he, she's Trump for two minutes and see how that interview goes. But instead, now you have interviewers that aren't being journalists. They're being Dr. Melfi. They're being psychiatrists trying to work her way through her feelings. And it's just so sad to see Hillary Clinton acting this way in public. I, I got to think that most people agree with me, I would hope. And then the thing is, Buck, people say, well, maybe she's just saying all these things because she wants to gin up sales for her books because they haven't sold well in the past. Oh, yeah, she's worth $100 million and the kids moved out of the house. I'm pretty sure she doesn't need the money. Yeah, she doesn't need the cash. So what is the explanation here? I mean, I think I've been saying for a long time that she's somebody who has such a large, and I know that I'm playing like pop radio psychologist here or something, but it's like she has a hole in her soul that can only be filled with acclaim and power and money and now that she's never going to be president and she's done she has to just deal with who she is yeah i, I like the fact you brought up the fact that you're your armchair psychologist we've seen a lot of that with, with president trump lately and you know people talking yeah, about at least this, i admit it i admit state. it though oh, you're right exactly yeah at least you say hey i'm not qualified whatsoever but here it goes uh and, and that's the thing i mean I'll, I'll play that with hillary clinton i have no problem with that i think there's something really wrong with her i don't i think if, if i lost an election like that I wouldn't be out in public embarrassing myself like this, except she's not quite embarrassing herself because when she does these interviews, she actually looks somewhat sympathetic, I guess, to people that probably hate Trump. So it, it works to a certain extent. But when this book tour interviews are over in a week or so, then she has to go back to anonymity, basically. And what's her next move? She says she isn't going to run. And but I have a feeling she will, because I don't, to your point, I don't think she knows any other way except to be in the spotlight. Yeah, that's the only thing that can possibly justify all of the things that we know of when it comes to uh, when it comes to Hillary. By the way, just to give us uh, your, your quick thoughts here, we got less than a minute, Joe. But uh, the dinner tonight with Trump, what do you think? I think that steak will be served and ketchup will be there as well. Uh, that that's apparently a thing, and, and two scoops of ice cream, as we've learned from your former network CNN. And I think that Trump wants to get deals done, and he doesn't care whether it's Republicans who have failed him or Democrats. We'll see how it goes with that. And I think he kind of likes the positive press he gets by doing things in a bipartisan fashion. So I, mean, I think it'll probably go well. Is, is it fair to say? Is it fair to say that Trump is actually an independent? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's pretty pretty clear. Uh, there are three parties right now, Buck. Uh, there are Trump supporters, there are Democratic supporters, and then actually four. Then there are Bernie supporters, and then there's the Republican reporters, and that's the smallest base of all. So I think Trump's just playing to where the, the winning teams are right now. Joe Concha, media reporter and columnist for The Hill. Great to have you, sir. Check out his latest on TheHill.com. Thank you, Buck. Thank Buck. you, sir. When it comes to freedom, my friends, I, Buck Sexton, stand on principle. And that means once in a while that I have to be a defender of and an advocate for some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And in this case, the Freedom Hut stands with the Bikini Hut, damn it. That's right. New story out of Washington State. In the town of Everett, there is an ordinance that has been passed that doesn't allow for what are known as bikini baristas. Here's what the ordinance says, that there's a, uh, that owners ensure that employees cover, quote, minimum body areas while on duty. That includes the breasts, 
torso and the top three inches of legs below the buttocks, according to the ordinance. And owners that are in violation of this new municipally enforced dress code will be required to obtain a probationary license. And with two of these bikini barista violations, their whole business could be shut down. I mean, my friends, what is next? What is this? Saudi Arabia? Are they going to start lopping off hands in the public square? This reminds me of the beer and bikinis test, my friends. Those of you who are relatively new in listening to this show haven't necessarily heard this in the past, so let me explain. It is my contention that when you look around the world, you see all kinds of countries, but here's all you really need to know. If you're going to live in a place, and honestly, if you're even going to visit a place, you want it to be a country where ladies are allowed to wear bikinis and everyone's allowed to drink beer. Now, that doesn't mean that I want everybody wearing bikinis or that I'm trying to be some kind of a sexist here. If gentlemen want to wear mankinis or speedo uh, snug bathing suits, that is all. That, that also falls under the bikini test. It's just a mankini instead of a bikini. And beer, I can't even drink beer. I literally can't drink it as a celiac, but it's just indicative and it's an alliteration, beer and bikini, so it goes well. It could be scotch and bikini, could be wine and bikini, tequila and bikini. Now that sounds like fun, but think about it. All of the greatest countries in the world at least allow that. You're going to tell me that's just a coincidence? Side note, or corollary, not side note. All the crappiest countries in the world do not allow that. No beer, no bikinis. So I think this is an issue of defending civilization at some level. That's right, I'll say it. And there are some lawyers that have taken up the bikini barista's uh, side of this argument up in Washington State who would tend to agree with me. The plaintiffs include seven baristas. Uh, so ladies, a barista is a person who works. It's a fancy name for coffee shop employee who makes person who makes uh, coffee drinks so there are seven baristas and an owner of a chain of bikini coffee stands they are according to the seattle times arguing in the suit that their right to privacy would be violated if officers were to inspect them to ensure that they were following the rules quote the ordinances on their face violate the first amendment to the united states constitution are unconstitutionally vague as applied and in violation of the due process guarantee of the 14th amendment the ordinances also deprive the baristas of their fifth and 14th amendment rights and discriminate against women according to lawyers for the plaintiffs look this is america everybody it's not saudi arabia do i think that young women should dress in bikinis and serve coffee i plead the fifth i leave that to the market to the free market But do I think that a city should be able to decide what the dress code is? Remember, they're not saying this isn't an uh, (laughs) anti-nudity. This isn't an anti-nudity ordinance. This is merely a function of trying to penalize a certain business model, which is women scantily clad serving coffee. If scantily uh, clad people are going to be more effective coffee sellers, as I said, they should have the right to dress that way. And where does this stop? Uh, I I have to note that 
if you can tell people they can't wear a bikini to work, you can also tell people they have to wear a burqa to work. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, this isn't about public nudity. That's a pretty straightforward issue. You're not allowed to be nude in some places. Although I should note, as I found out recently in Los Angeles, public nudity, at least in terms of the top area of the human body, uh, is completely allowed. And in New York City, believe it or not, uh, you can walk around topless. I think this is part of a push by feminists to say that if men can walk around topless, so can women, even though anatomically there are some differences there. Uh, But I have, in fact, seen in New York City, women walking around topless, and it is completely legal. Uh, If you're bottomless, that would be indecent exposure. But the indecent exposure laws are already on the books. These bikini baristas are not naked. They're wearing bikinis. So if if you're in the state of Washington and you go to a beach, uh, then you may find that you are wearing a bikini. If it's legal in public on a beach, it should be legal in public on a street corner, and that's just the way that it is. So uh, I should also note that there are people who are going to be affected negatively by this ordinance. I'm sure there are women who make quite a bit of money from their bikini barista jobs because the tips are higher. We can try to fight biology in society, but it is an unfortunate reality. Sometimes it's a very fortunate reality. depends on who you are, that people like pretty Male and female, people like attractive. There are entire business, the whole modeling industry, the whole television industry, and yes, the TV news industry is heavily influenced by physical attraction of one kind or another. So let's not pretend that that's not something that's allowed to enter into the marketplace. So, as I was saying, the beer and bikinis test, I'm glad we've established that because that will be coming up more on the show in the future. And the Freedom Hut stands with the Bikini Hut in Washington, in the city of Everett. Okay, team, uh, really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Please do, when you get a chance, uh, download the show on iTunes. Buck Sexton with America Now is the name of the program. You can share it with friends. I will. I hope that you do so. Also on BuckSexton.com, we'll be posting stories uh, every day as we do, usually give you a preview of what we're going to be talking about on the show and you can follow me on facebook go to facebook.com slash buck sexton i post there we've got the team setting up stories there it's really uh, a one-stop shop for the freedom hut so uh, i do hope that you get a chance to check that out as well Um, going to be doing a bit more history soon on the show at least that is the plan so stay tuned for that and until next time my friends shields high